for listening to our podcast today here at Word of Life. One of our values here at Word of Life is grow, and we've created a whole platform with your growth in mind. From in-depth series on worship and prayer to short and powerful articles on parenting, we have programs and content made just for you. So don't forget to subscribe at thelifeonline.cc. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Uh, that we're talking about is Unashamed by Christine Kane. I recommend everyone read the book if you can. Uh, If you've read the book, maybe read it again because this is something that we need to get in us uh, that not only can we live a life without shame, but we must fight to live a life with zero shame on us. Instead of shame being on you, we came to take shame off of you today. Uh, Now, it's amazing to me as a pastor how many people interpret God as something that needs to be hidden from (laughs) and something that needs to be in someone that needs to be uh, kind of moved away from when sin or fault enters into our life. Now, I get a front-hand seat for this because obviously I'm a pastor for a living, and so I represent God to a lot of different people. Uh, And so I sense their shame when they see what they think may be sin in their life, and then they see me. Uh, And and so this happens in like random ways, one of which happened um, about, um, I guess, a week ago. I was having small talk with someone who had no idea who I was. And, you know, sometimes, especially for men, this can be awkward, like, what do you talk about? It's like, how about those Celtics? Uh, you know, all those types of things. And so they asked me, they're like, do you have any summer plans? And I'm like, well, actually, me and my family just got back to the beach. He's like, man, the beach. He's like, I can slam eight beers at the beach and just sweat it all out. Know what I mean? And I'm like, no, actually. <laughs> and uh, so it's getting awkward, and he's about to make it even more awkward. And he's like, well, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, you, <laughs> you asked. I'm like, I'm a pastor. And immediately you can just see his face turn red. I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, So anyway, uh, but it's amazing how when people interpret God, they often think of him of like, when I am in sin, I am a sinner in the hands of an angry God. Um, That God is angry at me for my sin, which leads to me hiding my sin from God and from um, each other, and we live these lives of concealment. Um, Now, if you're taking notes, there's something that I would love for you to write down, Uh, but it's just this. It's my first note for this message. We have created, and when I say we, I don't necessarily mean like me and you so much as I mean the body of Christ as a whole. We have created a culture where we fear the consequences of confession more than the consequences of concealment, and that has serious consequences. Now, we know uh, that there are consequences of confession, and here's what I mean by this. If I came to you, or you came to me, and we began to open up with all that we are wrestling with and all that we are really going through, Um, and you begin to convey, like, I'm not always perfectly put together. And we live in this world now where we can all see each other, which is amazing, with social media, 
and it has great pros, like many of you being able to watch me from literally all over the world. That's amazing. It has great pros, but it also has a whole new world of cons, especially for everyone under the age of 25, um, where we have all these images where we can see each other. And you know, you've heard me talk about this before, that we all, no matter who you are, and this is not a bad thing, this is just a reality thing, we all have a front stage self and a backstage self. Um, we had a, a side of us that we will allow you to see. Uh, and so you see this, like for those of you who, you know, were children, <laughs> which was all of us, uh, you know, you're, you're in the house and your mom is like, really, you spilt the milk everywhere, what is, and then the phone rings, it's like, hello, uh, and you know, all is beautiful in the world, uh, and things are great, um, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's an example of a front stage self and a backstage self is there is a side of me that I'm okay with you seeing, and then there's this other side of me that I necessarily don't want you to see. And the reason why I don't want you to see it is because I know if you do, there's consequences. Uh, that you may gossip about me, you may belittle me, you may think differently of me, uh, you may judge me, you may ostracize me, that if you saw really just how weak I was or how tired I was, or how insecure I was, if you saw really how bad I was, um, that out of that, there would be consequences for that. And so it's just easier to conceal it. And I'll just not let you see it, and I'll act like it's not there. In fact, I will live so long not letting you see it that I don't even see it anymore. Um, that I don't even see how tired I am anymore, and I don't even see how, how bad it's getting. Because the issue, and I pastor now for almost 20 years, the issue that I have is that in pastoring this long, I know that there are consequences for concealment. That when you put something in the dark, it always grows. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, a seed. Um, if you take a seed and you conceal it in the dirt and no one sees it, everyone's just walking around it, walking on top of it, no one sees it, no one even knows it's there. It's just there and buried, that it's not there staying the same. It's actually growing. Uh, that things are begin, beginning to happen internally, inside that seed, something is about to break out. Um, something is about to begin to put roots down there. And it breaks out in the unseen first, and there's all these things that are happening internally, and then it begins to break out of the ground and everyone can see what was always in the seed. Why? Because of concealment. And when we begin to hide ourselves from ourselves, from others, and from God, and we begin to have all of these issues in our life that we're not let anybody else see or let anybody else know that we're going through, um, we will begin to see an internal change in us. And that internal change, and this is strong, hear me, I know it's strong, uh, but it's true. 
darkness begins to grow. Uh, A spirit of heaviness always gives place to a spirit of darkness. And when we become heavy about our actions or our own insecurities, uh, it paves the way for this darkness to begin to creep on the inside of us that begins to snuff things out. Joy, peace, um, and it gets harder to manage front stage self. Uh, the distance between front stage, when you're healthy spiritually and, and, and mentally, your front stage self and your backstage self has little distance between the two. Um, there's an authentic you right behind the you you're showing everyone else. When you're getting unhealthy spiritually and physically, there's a growing gap between who you are uh, pretending to be and who you actually are. And this, this gap is creating a shadow and a darkness that begins to affect us. And it begins to, to have all of these consequences uh, in our lives. And here's what I know is the consequences of concealment are always greater than the consequences of confession. That in fact, when I have a weakness in my life, the biblical narrative is for me to confess my flaw to you. Uh, That I am to have a safe space with you. Uh, That when I come and I confess what I'm actually facing, what I'm actually going through, that you will not judge me, condemn me, think less of me, but I am able to communicate the truth to you, and through communicating the truth to you, I'm actually getting freer. That when I confess my faults to you, uh, healing begins to take place in my own life. Uh, But we have a culture uh, that is thriving off of like a cancel culture uh, that has so come in uh, and has made more people hide than ever before. And meanwhile, alcoholism is shooting up, depression is shooting up, suicide, especially for those under the age of 25, is shooting up, uh, because we're so afraid that if I tell you the truth of what I'm really going through and what I am really thinking, uh, that there will not be mercy and grace and love and healing, there will be rejection, there will be ostracizing, there will be canceling. Uh, there will be uh, things that begin immediately come against me. And so we just, you know, do like, um, you know, the DreamWorks movie and just smile and wave, boys. Everything's okay. Like, we're fine and everything's fine and I'm fine and you're fine. And if I'm not fine, let me just change the, 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 the filter on the picture and make it where it looks like I'm fine. Um, and just alter it and doctorate it and whiten the teeth and like put smiles on this child's face and like, we're truly fine as a family and all these types of things because we really don't want truth and the whole time we are not telling the truth we are living a lie and that lie is absolutely ruining families marriages souls children teenagers and we have to be a people that says no 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 we are not putting shame on anyone we are taking shame off of everyone And we will be healers and not condemners. 
Anytime shame enters into my life, four things will happen. Shame will always do four things to you. Number one, it'll make you feel like you can't approach God. Uh, When shame is in uh, operation in your life, one of the things it'll make you do is as soon as as Adam sins, it's very interesting, Kristen Kane points this out in her book, Unashamed. Um, She says, out of all the things God could label man in their perfection, like before man and woman sinned, the, the thing that he labeled them was unashamed. That of all the things he could want his sons and daughters to be, it would be without shame. And it's amazing to me how uh, culture has come in and pointed out everyone's flaws that's filled with shame of like, you're not smart enough, you're not intelligent enough, you're not disciplined enough, um, you're not kind enough, you're not all these things. And God is like, when I see you, what I want to see you as is literally unashamed. For you to understand, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you know what fearfully means in that verse? It means carefully. That I carefully made you. Moses, I made your mouth. You don't have to be ashamed of your mouth. You don't have to think about all the the things that are wrong with your mouth. I made your mouth. You are fearfully, carefully, and wonderfully made. Go to Pharaoh without shame. And he couldn't. He couldn't get over his own shame, so God, you know, sent Aaron with him. And it's amazing to me, like, in our culture, how Satan has tried to fight ever since sin entered in the earth to make man feel shame. And the first byproduct of shame is, what do you see Adam doing? He is what? He's hiding from God. Uh, You see this with the prodigal son when Jesus is talking about how humanity interacts with God is that when humanity sins, um, it has an understanding that I have sinned against God and in his sight. And he said, the prodigal says this, I have sinned against you and in heaven's sight. Um, And out of this, now I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What's he saying? There can't be intimacy between me and you. And God said, this is humanity. When humanity sins, what they believe is, is they cannot have intimacy with me. Just like Adam, they hide. And so they go to church, but they don't really press in. They don't really, like, get in God. And they're around spiritual things, but not in it. And they're around scripture, but not in it. And they're around worship, but not in it. And around prayer, but not really in prayer. And the reason why is the shame uh, that has entered into her heart believes that I am no longer worthy of intimacy with God. So why even pursue something I cannot have? Um, And so the first thing that shame does is it begins to separate me from God. And so I've seen this happen uh, for a lot of people is is when sin comes up in their life, um, church attendance begins to wane. And and they begin to kind of like pull away because Satan will love to have us think um, that our sin has disqualified us from intimacy with God. In fact, I would go as far as to say this, and some of you may disagree with this. This is okay. You don't have to agree with everything that I say. I have never met a preacher that I agreed with 100% of their theology, ever, including myself. I'll go back and look at my old notes, and I'm like, ah, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> like today, I don't know if I agree with that per se. But I would go as far as to say this when it comes to shame, is that shame may even be more dangerous than sin. That's a big statement. 
And somebody says, well, what do you mean by that? When I think about Peter, Peter made a major mistake. You talk about sin. He denied Jesus three times. And it still didn't keep him out of ministry. And it still didn't stop him from standing up on the book of, in the book of Acts and seeing 3,000 people being added to the church. And it still didn't stop him from writing two books in your Bible. But you know what could have stopped all of that? if he never would have swam towards Jesus because he was so ashamed of what he did that he felt like he was no longer worthy of intimacy with the Father. Can I tell you something today? God is not mad at you. God is not angry with you. God is not upset with you. Just like Peter, he is cooking a meal and he is wanting to fellowship with you. He is wanting to talk with you, not because of what you've done, but because of whose you are. You are God. And so shame will tell you this lie that you can't have intimacy with God, but God will come and embrace the prodigal. The second thing shame will do is it'll make you hide your issues from others. Uh, You see Adam immediately begin to cover himself up uh, so that only could God not see his issues any longer, but his wife could not either. Um, that here you see, like, I'm not even going to let my wife see what I'm really going through. I'm not even going to let my husband see it. I'm not going to let my pastor see it. I'm not going to let my grandfather see it. I'm not going to let anybody see it. I'll just deal with it. And the whole time you're trying to deal with it, it's not getting better. Because when you conceal it, it grows. But I feel like I I have to hide this from you because if I don't hide this from you, you will judge me, you will condemn me, and you will ostracize me. And so it gets worse and it gets darker. Uh, Whenever I am hiding something from someone, shame has entered into my life. Uh, Thirdly, what shame will do is it'll make you feel like you're unworthy and it diminishes your dreams. You remember the prodigal? He comes to uh, um, you know, his father, who is symbolic of our heavenly father, and he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's like, I, I don't want the fatted calf. I don't want the best robe. I don't want to be made a big deal out of. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me a hired servant. So his dream is diminished. Um, and he's not thinking about all these great plans anymore. What about you? Uh, Are you living with a this is enough mentality, or do you believe you are worthy of the best? Has God made you worthy of the best? Or is it like what I have is enough? That Like this will be enough. I'll work for this, and it will be given to me, and it will be enough is a byproduct of shame thinking. Uh, my dreams are diminishing. What I'm asking God for is diminishing. I am no longer like pursuing his highest and best and my high calling in Christ Jesus. It's like, just let me survive. And my dreams are being diminished. What is this? This is shame. This is a byproduct of what shame has made us feel we are worthy of. And number four, it makes you want to punish and even harm yourself. And my goodness, am I seeing more of this in pastoring than ever before, especially with the younger generation. It's feeling so whatever, sinful, ugly, unseen, unheard, unnoticed, that I begin to punish and hurt myself. Now, this has always happened with uh, religion. It's like, I'll give more, I'll serve more, I'll fast more, like the punishment of self. 
to come out of shame. Uh, but now I'm seeing more cutting than ever. Uh, more people dealing with eating disorders than ever. Uh, because there is this mindset that I am not enough, and this is always shame talking, that you are not enough. And we have got to uh, redeem this younger culture and redeem ourselves, that you are not just enough, you are more than enough to be loved and blessed and seen and noticed. Before you were in your mother's womb, God saw you, planned you, and gave you a hope and a future to be a game changer in this world. We have to fight for that. I, I try to tell um, you know, anybody I'm training in communication uh, that you always want to preach from a burden and you want to preach for a decision. And uh, when I was reviewing my notes on uh, this message, I started Googling some other pastors who I love and are friends of mine and to see if they've ever preached on it. And one of the ones I, I looked at was Reverend Robert Madhu, uh, pastors of a church called Social Dallas. And I've known um, Brother Robert for many years. And out of that, I pulled up Robert Madhu's shame, and sure enough, he preached a message like three weeks ago entitled, Shame Off of You. And I'm like, Robert, you just made my life easier. Thank you, sir. Uh, and he was talking about preaching from a burden. And uh, he told this story of a young man that he read about there in the, the Dallas paper uh, who was 17 years old. And his mom saw him at 10 p.m. and, you know, told him goodnight. And at 2 a.m. he gets a text from someone he thinks is a girl at a school that he had a crush on. Uh, but, you know, kind of seemed like it might have been, you know, um, not somebody who was interested in him. But turns out through the text, they were. And so they start engaging in these texts, and, and of course, you know, excitement is there, and like I'm seen, and I've noticed, and I'm liked, which is so amazing how each one of us are fighting for that. And I think that's why social media is so prevalent. We, we don't just want to be seen, we want to be liked. Um, and he's getting this. And out of this, um, you know, something in him is excited, and um, all of a sudden a picture is sent, and it is an explicit image, and they said, send me one of you. And so he did, and right after he did, they let him know on the other end that it was actually not this girl, that it was some other people in his school, and that they were going to use this image and spread it around the internet unless he paid them $5,000. And immediately, what is active in his heart and life? Shame. And there's this shame that immediately, what does it want to do? Conceal. How can I make this go away? How can I hide this? How can none of this happen? And so he quickly determines he will not be able to meet that $5,000. And so this young man, he takes his life.
And I think about these things, and it breaks my heart because, like, we live in this world that is, it just happens way too often. Everything. It just seems like it's happening way too often. And I can't help but to wonder, like, what we could do as the church globally if we were known as a place of mercy and protection and a hospital for hurting people and you come as you are and you will not leave the same through the help of the power of God and your ability to tell the truth to any one of us of what is going on in your life and receive healing from the hands of a community that loves you. We must be this way as a church. We must be this way as campuses, our Fondren campus, our Highland Colony campus, our Lakeland campus, our online campus. We must have healers in the house. Uh, we must have people of mercy and grace and love and compassion. And I thank God that we do. Uh, to end, I want to share a story from Scripture in John chapter 8. Um, and this just kind of just obliterates shame in such a beautiful and astounding way. And uh, after we read this text, I just want to sing and talk about Jesus being our protector. And some of you at our, our, our churches and our campuses, you might uh, be in a place where you need some protection right now that there is some concealment or there is some things that if you do confess, you really feel like there could be consequences either way. And I just sense so strongly that the Lord Jesus wants you to know that he will be your protector even in these seasons and even in these moments, uh, that you do not have to be insecure, that the Lord Jesus is present uh, and he is here. Uh, in John chapter 8, um, you, you know this story. Verse number one, it said, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and he began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they said unto him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. When they persisted in asking him, what do we do? Are you going to let her go or are you going to follow the law of Moses? He straightened up and he said unto them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone with the woman. She was in the center of the court. And straightening up, Jesus said unto her, woman, where are your accusers? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. 
go from now and sin no more. <laughs> Can we just give it up for Jesus today? Oh, man. Only the Lord could have handled that moment like that. Now, can you imagine, just real quickly with me, wherever you are, just imagine this. Can you imagine your worst moment? Somebody says, spring break, 96. No, whatever it may have been. Your worst moment where you are demonstrating your worst self. Can you imagine that? Uh, put up on our screens right now in the middle of the message Jesus is preaching Pharisees and doctors of the law which would be the equivalent of other pastors in our community take a woman caught in her sin in the act of adultery chances are she probably uh, has no clothing she was caught in the act drugged through a city thrown down in the middle of Jesus' message at his feet. and says, the law commands this woman be stoned. What do you say? Testing him. And they're trying to make him either condemn her or compromise on God's word. And this is where culture's at now. It's like we'll either compromise or we'll condemn. And here Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth, of love and mercy with responsibility. And he teaches a lesson today that I pray each and every one of us get. The first part of this lesson is real simple. It's number one, who am I and who are you to ever throw a stone at anyone else? Am I right in this? Like, right, who am I, who are you to ever throw a stone at someone else? We have to redeem this culture, and we have to train them that it is, it is safer to tell the truth than it is to live a lie. I'm going to say that again. We have to redeem our culture and say it is safer to tell the truth than it is to live a lie. Um, that out of this, are there responsibilities for your actions? Yes, we'll talk about this later. Um, are there responsibilities? You better believe there are responsibilities. But in the middle of you taking responsibility, you need to know you are loved by Jesus. You are loved by God. And you can tell him truth. And out of that, when you tell the truth, that is the beginning of your freedom, no matter how ugly the truth may be. Because who are we to ever throw a stone at someone else? Who are we to ever gossip about someone else? Who are we to put out a flaw or point out a flaw of someone else? Who are we ever to throw someone down and stand above them and be like, and I am better than you? Who are we to stand over? Who are we to look at that way? The sin of self-righteousness may be the ugliest sin of all. 
someone who has forgotten what it's like to receive mercy, someone who's forgotten what it's like to receive grace, someone who's forgotten what it's like to have God's goodness show up in a moment where their lives needed it the most. Let us be people who've never forgotten the beauty of being forgiven. Let us be a church that has never forgotten the beauty of being shown grace when we should have been shown judgment. And let us all drop our stones. Let us be healers and not herders. The second thing that I see from this is Jesus is is showing us the safety of his presence. That even when you are at your worst and I see you in that condition, it it does not define who you are to me. And when I see you at your worst, I like the prodigal, I want to embrace you. I want to love you. Don't you hide from me. Don't you stop worshiping. Don't you stop coming to church. And you know what? If, if these Pharisees and the doctors of the law got one thing right, if they got one thing right, you know what it was? They threw her down at the feet of Jesus. They, and they missed it in every other area. But at least they got her to Jesus so that we could see when we are at our worst, when we have committed our very worst mistakes and our very worst actions, the mercy of Jesus is there every time. And when he sees us, he is moved with protection. He is moved with a sense that I will make everything around you drop its stone. I will make everything that threatens you, everything that is seeking to take your life, every, every lie from the enemy, every demon in hell that is lying to you right now, telling you you are not enough, wanting to stone you, wanting to put you down, wanting to put you under, I will call it all out as a lie. I will make everything around you drop your stone. And when it's just me and you, when it's just me and you, I will tell you to stand up and look upon me. And when you do, you will see nothing but eyes and wells of love looking right back at you. The third thing this teaching story shows us is that my sin does not have to be a stopping point. No matter how bad my sin is, my life doesn't have to stop there. It doesn't have to define me. But it can be a pivot point. Go and sin no more. It's amazing how Jesus is able to say, you know what? This is a moment to take responsibility and change without shame. Did you know it's possible to take responsibility without shame? To come back like Adam instead of blaming and finding fault with everybody else secretly because you're really ashamed of yourself? To be just like, you know what? I did. I ate the apple. I did. And I just will learn from it. And I'll pick up from it. And by your grace, hopefully I'll never do it again. I can't help but to wonder how different the story would have been for all the rest of Scripture. Uh, And out of this, Jesus is teaching us that it's not like our actions don't have consequences and we can just lean on this and like act any old way we want to act. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't let your past define you. Let it refine you. Learn from it. Move on from it. Grow from it. But do it without shame. Shame will always drag you back to the shadows. Come out of the shadows and say, this will be a pivot point for my life. It will refine me. define me and I will move forward with the goodness of God better than I've ever been before freer than I've ever been before 
So today at all of our campuses, let's stand. Fondren, Lakeland, Highland Colony, let's stand. And I'll pray and we'll have a moment where we celebrate Jesus being our protector and us living without shame. Father, we come before you today. We love you. We honor you at all of our campuses. We celebrate you. And Holy Spirit, we just thank you that I know that across our church, at our campuses, there are probably many hurting hearts and many hearts that need safety and protection and liberty in life. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that as we worship, that your Holy Spirit fills not only the room, but the people and allows us to, to just be free from shame to walk free from any guilt anyone may be carrying. Set us free like only you can. We love you, Lord, so very much. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.